Mark 10, 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that, he called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. That's an exciting story. That's an exciting account. You know, Jesus had told uh, the people, he says, if you don't believe me for the words I say, at least believe me for the miracles that I do. Because the miracles testified that he was the Son of God. The miracles testified that he was who he said he was. Amen? And I want us to realize something. As we look at Jesus' life on the earth, here's just an, uh, one account of Jesus uh, walk, walking on the earth as God incarnate. You have to picture that and imagine that. It's never happened before. You know, it hasn't happened, won't happen since, you know, hasn't happened since. It's going to happen when the Lord comes back. But as he walked upon the earth as a human being, okay, God incarnate, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he traveled. And like Alberto was saying this morning, you know, he got hungry. He got, he got tired. He was in a human body. And as he went from place to place as God Almighty, the eternal son, but in that moment of time, wrapped in flesh, okay, and on the earth. There's a lot of things that we notice about his life that are so different than every other human, every other person that walked on this earth. Amen. He's God, but he's God in the flesh. He's the Son of God, the Son of Man. And a couple of things that we're going to talk about this morning to me that stand out about Christ's life on the on the earth. They could pick a lot of things, okay, that are so much uh, more and greater than than what we are as people. But he's the two qualities I want to talk about today that stand out to me, but that I believe we can learn from, from Jesus' life, is that when He went through life as a man, walking among men, He was never bothered. He never was bothered. He was never put out or inconvenienced. He was never... Circumstances and sinners. Circumstances and sinners were not a bother to Him. And that's an amazing thing. That's one thing that many amazing things about our Lord and Savior. But he came to save sinners. They weren't a bother to him. He knew they didn't know him. He knew they he knew they were lost in their darkness. He knew they weren't going to talk right, think right, be right, be thankful, anything like that. They weren't a bother to him. And the second thing is, and we're going to expound on these as we go. First of all, he was never bothered or put out or inconvenienced by circumstances or men. Second of all, in the midst of that, as he lived and journeyed from the cradle to the cross, he was also never distracted. He never allowed his circumstances to dictate his life. They're both remarkable qualities. And the fact that those could be together seems like it almost be one or the other. You'd throw yourself fully into people and the circumstances and maybe forget your calling, you know, or you'd be about your calling and everybody, everything else is a bother and a distraction. I want to keep it away. But he was never inconvenienced or bothered by circumstances or sinners. And he was, ne- he, he was never distracted from the entire point of his life. In his public ministry, when we read all about him and know about his life, and in the private time when, when, up to the age of about 30, when we didn't know a whole lot about his life, other than the Bible says he, he was, uh, found favor with God and man, he was subject unto his parents, and so forth. Uh, in that, that t- interim time before, but it, he was never distracted from his heavenly calling. The, our Lord never allowed his circumstances to dictate his life. He never allowed his circumstances uh, to dictate his time and how he spent his time or his purpose or his perfect agreement with the will of the Father and his perfect obedience to the will of the Father. It's an amazing because all the different things, every angle you come at him, you know, from praise to crucify him, everything was brought against him uh, from obscurity to fame, everything 
of Samaritans to Gentiles to, to Jews, everything that you could possibly be around the devil himself, nothing, nothing uh, dictated his life other than his heavenly purpose and the holy call of God upon his life. Okay, To be the Savior of the world. He never deviated from his own holy nature of who he was. Have you ever done, I have, as a believer, done something very unchristlike and say that is so out of character, that is so out of my nature to think that, to say that, to do that, to act that way. And we've all done it. We've blown it royally before. Maybe just in front of family or maybe in front publicly or maybe when no one's around. And we sit, we say that's so not like me. The Lord never did that. He never deviated from who He was in His nature and His character about of being God in the flesh, of being holy. Everything you read about God was in Him. In Him dwelt all the fullness of Godhead bodily, it says of Jesus. And so He was never, never not that. You know, He was consistently that. He didn't act a certain way. He was that. And that's the way He was around saints, sinners, whoever He was with. He was consistent with His own nature. He never deviated from that. And He never deviated from His holy calling. He came into this world to save sinners. Apostle Paul said, Jesus, this is a true saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. We could all raise our hands and put our place in place of Paul and said, of whom I am chief. He came to save me. So he came into this world to save sinners. He never deviated from that. He said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. He was very tunnel visioned as far as knowing his purpose and not being distracted from that. And there's things that we can learn from his life. He did not adapt to nor bend to the will and the whim of people. Good people or bad people. You know what I'm saying? Lost people are people of God. They were people of faith that knew the Lord. He didn't bend to the will and whim of men. He didn't bend to the will and whim of the prevailing opinions of His time. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's, we see it. It's called compromise. Okay, We see it in churches. It's called compromise. We see it in church denominations and organizations. They compromise. And if y'all heard, and I'm not an expert on it all, I know enough about it, but of liberation theology. Anybody ever heard that? Okay. Then, then you might not know the term, but you probably would see the fruit of it or see the, the I guess, the, the, the discourse of it almost. And liberation theology is something where uh, it's, it's new, it's called Christian, it's not Christian at all. But it's more of a very adamant social type gospel that we're going to work for justice. And so they get everything, you know, social justice, equality, equality in pay, economic equality. Uh, it could be they, they target the environment and we want to protect the earth. And they put it, they wrap it all in Christian terms and say that basically this is what Jesus came for. And so this is our primary motive to save the, the earth. And it's all God's creation to save the environment or elevate this race or equal justice for, and they'll wrap it in you know black liberation theology or this liber environmental liberation theology and you might not hear that phrase but you'll see it to where it's not Christ and him crucified Paul said only know the thing I want to know from among you is Christ and him crucified that's all I want to know okay and even Paul said the Lord didn't send me even here to baptize he sent me to preach the gospel and we have the same calling. Look at the Great Commission. It doesn't talk about the environment. The Great Commission where He says, go into all the world and preach this Gospel, teaching men to observe whatsoever I've commanded them. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not is going to be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick. That's the Great Commission to the followers of Christ, those that are born again and born of His Spirit. It's not to go... You'll see nothing in that commission about saving the environment. He's going to make a new heaven and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Am I saying we should go abuse things? No. We're stewards of the earth. We still have that as men created in the image of God. We're to be stewards. And we're to be humane and kind even to the unchristlike and so forth. But the point is, that's not part of our calling. This liberation theology. What am I saying? 
That type of theology is not biblical theology, but it's wrapped in Christian terms and phrases, promoted as being this is what Christ would do, this is what Jesus would do if He's on the earth today, this is what He's all about. And, and the point is that it's a bending to or compromising to the whims of sinful men. It's a bending to culture. It's a bending to and a compromising to get along with or make yourself acceptable, liked, or you know, thought highly of in the midst of a sinful world. And that takes its forms in many things. We can do that privately. You can do it in the workplace. You can do it at the company Christmas party. You can do it when you're with some friends at a ball game who don't really, your friends don't really know the Lord that well or whatever. <coughs> we can do that. Uh, but, but Jesus never did that. He never compromised. He never bent towards, and there's a pull towards it, right? And we have to recognize it for what it is. It's a pull from the world. It's not of God. I have to recognize it quickly and say, no, I'm called to be this. I'm called to be salt and light. And if my salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing. It's going to be cast under and trout under the feet of, foot of men. Jesus never was bent towards that or, or pulled to that. Circumstances didn't dictate His life. And it's truly a remarkable, a remarkable way to live in the very midst of what the Bible describes, and it's still it would be our generation today. It was Christ's generation. It's the same generation, okay, so to speak, spiritually. In the very midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in the very midst of all of the power and the, uh, the paganism of Rome, that's what Jesus lived under that. With all the little Roman deities and the Greek gods and all the Roman gods and, and all the, uh, the immorality that Rome is famous for, and at the same time, there was a, in a weird way, there was a civility about it and a Roman legal system and so forth that is still used today. In the midst of all of the power of Rome, in the midst of the hardness and the hypocrisy of his own people, the Bible says he came into his own, the Jewish people, and his own received him not. There was a hardness in their hearts. They were blinded, and they were blind leading the blind. The leaders of the Jewish people were blind spiritually leading the blind. And so he comes into the midst of all of this. This is what's surrounding him. The Roman power, the hardness of his own brothers. His, they should have received him. Of all the people on the planet that should have sent, that knew the Scriptures and knew a virgin shall conceive and everything about his life. And now Bethlehem of Ephratah, of thee shall come, you know, him who's called uh, the Savior of the world. They should have known these things. And yet they rejected him of all the people that should have, in the, in the midst of just lost men in general, and all the sin and the darkness, and men groping in darkness. That's not the way the Bible describes men lost in sin. They're groping in darkness, just bumping into things, bump, falling off a cliff. They're, they're just groping in darkness and sin. In the midst of uh, the domain, I guess you would say, of the God of this world. Because Satan has been given a measure of authority. And the Lord calls him the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And then Jesus came down in human form into the midst of all of this. Okay? And, and yet He never compromised. In, in, the, in the midst of all of this that was pulling on Him or could have influenced His life or stopped Him or distracted Him or caused Him to bend just a little bit here or there, He who is love was moved with compassion. And yet, He was never moved from His holy purpose. Think about both of those things together. He was moved with compassion for that that He saw around Him. And I just described it in part. The men groping in darkness. The hardness of the Jewish people. The arrogance of the Romans. You know, and all their paganism. In the, midst, in the God of this world. All of that around Him. And yet, He's moved with compassion. He that is love, God is love, was moved with compassion yet never moved from His purpose to be the propitiation for the sins of the world. That's an amazing thing. The propitiation, we know that, that word means an, uh, an atoning victim. An atoning victim. That's what He was. He was he, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so He was never moved from being anything other than He was consistent with His own holy nature as God and, and love and just and righteous and holy and all that He is as God. And He, was, he never uh, 
he was never anything other than consistent with that of, of being what would God called him to be on this earth. Amen. He lived perfectly as God among men. Perfectly. And I know that I don't, as a Christian, live perfectly as a Christian among men. I strive to, I desire to, but I don't. And I probably don't even want to as bad as I sh- as, as much as I should. Amen. But he never deviated from that. And the Bible says that what he endured, he endured. Uh, I'm just going to read the scripture. If you're taking notes, Hebrews 12:3. For consider him. God wants us to consider our Savior. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. And that would have been us too if we'd have lived in that time. You know, the contradiction of sinners against himself. Thus you be weary and faint in your minds. So we are to consider the Lord and all that came against him, lest we become weary and faint in our minds. He wants us to keep our eyes on him, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In the midst of all the distractions of his day, he was never distracted. I get distracted, don't you? We get distracted by something on the news. We get distracted by a phone call. We get distracted by a billboard. We get distracted by something, a circumstance in our lives. And for a little week, a day, a week, a month, whatever, we're really caught up in this. Stamping out these fires that are all around us. Instead of being the Lord. Instead of, instead of trusting the Lord, keeping our eyes on Jesus, walking pretty much on the even keel with Jesus Christ above it all, uh, we can get caught up in it and before we know it, we're distracted. We're distracted from our prayer time. That's suffered. We're distracted from our, our gathering with the, together of God's people. We're distracted from studying the Bible together. We're distracted from witnessing. We're distracted from meditating on the Lord. It happens. Amen? And, and, and all that, that was going on in his life, he was never distracted. He was never confused. He was never persuaded by the devil or men. Uh, to embrace another mindset. He knew why he why the purpose of himself being here. He knew it. Okay? He was never other than the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So all this eternity passed, he knew this day was coming. And he comes to the earth. It's a it's it's a mystery. The Bible says great is a mystery of godliness. It talks about him being uh you know seen of angels and and coming to this earth as a man and so forth. But in that moment, he's a man, yet he's not, not ceasing to be God. And he knew that cross was before him. And so he was never distracted from that and never knocked off course. He knew what was in the heart of man. He knew what he was getting himself into. I'll just read this Scripture from John 2.24 and 25. But Jesus did not commit, commit Himself unto men, because He knew all men, and needed not that He should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. He knew what He was getting into when He came here. In other words, He, 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 he didn't come here and then all of a sudden get persuaded over here or men pulled Him over here to do this or that. He knew. He was Lord. He was God. Fully moved with compassion and yet never moved from His purpose. People weren't a bother to Him, and yet He didn't get off course at the same time. It really is a remarkable thing. He was not knocked off His heavenly course. You ever been knocked off your spiritual course for a little while? By a person, by a relationship, by an event, by a circumstance, by your own lust or your own uh, desires for something else, and, and you get distracted? from Jesus never did that. He was never knocked off his heavenly course. He was he was uh, sinners crying out for mercy. That's how we open up this morning. Blind men begging for their sight. Just picture what his life was like once he once he came down from that mount of temptation and he he returned in the power of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says and he began to preach and do miracles and healed a man in the temple and cast demons out of a man inside the synagogue or the temple. And he became known from that day to the day he was on the cross. Imagine what his his life was like. Blind men crying out for their sight. There were desperate parents coming out saying, please deliver my demon-possessed child. Always. Multitudes pressing upon him. People said he's beside himself. There were so many people just pressing on him. He had blasphemies against himself, right? 
the Jews would say, he's only casting out devils by the Beelzebub, the prince of devils. It's blasphemous. Okay, that's accrediting to Satan the power of God. That's what that blasphemy is, the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. And so, he's being blasphemed. He's having parents saying, uh, would you set my little child on your knee and bless him? And then at the same time, he's having disciples rebuke the parents saying, don't do that. All this toughest stuff is going on around him. And people, he never looked at people as being a bother. Those little children come and running up to him weren't a bother. Blind Bartimaeus was not a bother to him. It wasn't an inconvenience to his life. And how often, and I was, was, I was, the Lord was giving me this and I was studying and preparing, I was thinking, you know, a person could act that way. You ever painted a smile on your face? Oh, so good to see you. And you don't want to see him. Oh, I'm not busy. Come on in. And you're really very busy. And you're crunched for time. Okay? Or they call on the phone. Oh, I got sure I got time. And we might act a certain way and paint a smile on our face. And inwardly we're like, oh my goodness, I can't stand this person or I can't stand, or they drain all my time or whatever. And they're a bother to us. Even outwardly, we know we're supposed to be Christians, so we know we shouldn't act that way, so we don't act that way. But inwardly, that's what we're thinking or feeling. Jesus never inwardly thought that. He didn't put one thing on His face that was different in His heart or His mind. I do that. I'm not proud of that, but I do that. Ask God to change me. I want the heart of the Lord in this. I want God's heart to be in me uh, to where uh, I'm moved with compassion, not just outwardly because I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian. This is what I'm supposed to do. Act very Christian. I want to be that in my heart. Because Jesus didn't have that, uh, that hypocrisy or that difference between what was on His face and what was in His heart. He was, cons- he was consistently God. Consistently move with compassion. Consistently holy at the same time. Consistently going to the cross all the way. And nobody was going to stop Him from doing it. And yet, blind Bartimaeus wasn't a bother to Him. Call Him. He stood still. He stops. He's going to Jericho. He stood still. Call Him. Have Him come over here. He healed Him. What do you want me to do for you, blind Bartimaeus? Lord, that I might receive my sight. Your faith has made you whole. And immediately He received His sight. And so... Uh, people crying out to him weren't a bother. They weren't an unwanted part of his day. You have unwanted people in your life. You have people in your life, honestly. Circumstance at work or in family or wherever, they're just an unwelcome part of your day. They're just not wanted. This is somebody, I want to get this done and move on to what I have to do. I want to get this done and move on to what I want to do. To get on to something more important. I want to get deal with this person. I'm a Christian. I should do it. I want to deal with them, their problem, and I want to get on to what I want to do. And yet, I don't believe that the Lord didn't look at people as an unwelcome part of His day. Sinful people. Blasphemous people. He didn't look at them as an unwelcome part of His day. I just want to read this from Matthew 8, 1-3. When He was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed Him. Matthew 8, 1-3, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand, touching him, saying what? I will. I love that. What did Jesus say to him? I will. Lord, if you will, you can touch me and heal me and make me clean. I will. That's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to do exactly that. I will. I want you to be healed. I will. He wasn't bothered by that. Be thou clean. And immediately, the leprosy was cleansed. A little bit later in that same chapter, and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion. Here's a, uh, not a Jewish man, a Roman centurion, beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. I'm going to come. I'm sure Jesus was doing something else and going somewhere else. But this, this man comes to him and says, my ser- he didn't even ask him to come heal him. He says, my, my servant's at home tormented and sick. I will come and heal him. We don't have to read the rest of the story. The Lord spoke the word only and he was healed. We know that, that story. But the point that I'm looking at this morning is just our Lord's willingness, move with compassion, and yet you just see him under control. You know what I'm saying? Under the spirit control. 
consistent with everything else you would read about God from Genesis to Revelation. I'm the Lord, I change not. He didn't act differently on this earth. There's not a different God in the New Testament than the Old Testament. He's moved with compassion. Didn't the Lord heal people in the Old Testament? Didn't, didn't the Lord heal Naaman the leper? It was a Syrian, not even a Jewish man. Syrians were enemies with Israel. The Lord healed him of his leprosy. You understand what I'm saying? He's kind. And He's moved with compassion. Our Lord loved and He still loves men. And he's moved with compassion to minister to men. He can meet every need that a man has. It doesn't matter what is it is. Blind Bartimaeus, the leper that we just read about, the man tormented with the palsy in his house, naming the Syrian with leprosy. It doesn't matter. But He came for the most important need that man has, and that's a healing of sin. That our sin would be washed away and forgiven and cleansed once and for all. Salvation from the power of sin. Salvation from the judgment of sin. Because everything else is temporal, right? Even if a man had leprosy or blind Bartimaeus died blind and never received his sight, all those things are temporal. Jesus came to save sinners. And so, He's able to meet every need. The Bible says He went about doing good. Could that be said about my life? Could that be said about your life? Because the Bible says, for as He is, so are we in this world. We're called to be that. He went about doing good. We know the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We're getting a picture of Christ, why He came, the purpose of His coming, and it's amazing He was never distracted from that. He wasn't bothered by men in their constant pleas for help. Everybody wanted something from Him, right? Everybody wanted something from Him. Even if it was the, the underhanded Pharisees or scribes trying to trick Him, they wanted an answer from Him. Everybody wanted something from Him. And He wasn't bothered by their constant pleas for help, but at the same time, He was not persuaded by men to become what men were or to become what men wanted Him to be or to deviate from His heavenly calling. Uh, and men, and there were men in his life and people in his life that wanted to bring him to an, another end. Some other end for his life other than being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You, you realize that. And we talk about it before. There are times, few times, but when he's very popular and he's traveling from place to place and they're bringing multitudes to him all day long until late into the night, and he's still healing everyone, every demon-possessed person, everyone that came, and they wanted to make him king. Right then and there, he passed through. Another time, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. They were ready to kill this guy. Same man, same Christ. But they didn't like what he said. And they were ready to hurl him off a cliff right there and kill him. But he's not going to die being thrown off a cliff. He's going to be nailed to a cross where he's going to be uh, the, the Savior of the world. And so he did not allow... He didn't look at men as a bother, but at the same time, he wasn't uh, dictated by men and, and their desires to bring him to another end. He, it would be easy, and I'll talk about ourselves for just a moment. It would be easy, and I kind of talked about it with that liberation theology just a little bit, for a Christian to become people-oriented. You know, it's very easy to do. We have to guard against that. We have one love. Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor among you. Okay? We have one love, one devotion. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is Him living through us and loving through us that's going to reach out to sinful man. My compassion for men must be His compassion for men. It cannot be some worldly, humanistic love that I forsake all and want to give all my money to the poor. Uh, it has to be the love of God that constrains me to preach this gospel to that poor man. Because that poor man could be rich and full and go to hell. It has to be, my first love has to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, you see, in any area, any inner city ministry or this kind of ministry or foreign mission field or building water wells for people that don't have water to drink, I'm not all, all that's wonderful, but those to me are tokens of the love of God. Those are tokens of the love of God that they might be saved, that they might receive me into their village or their community or whatever, to where now I have an open door to bring the gospel to them. And some people get so wrapped up in meeting the human needs, people oriented just and they really are. I'm not making fun. Move with with a, a, a love for people 
but they dedicate their life to people and our life is to be dedicated to God. Because you know what? There's people he won't have us full with for whatever reason. I don't know. There's people he does want us to go to. We get our marching orders from him is what I'm saying. Our, our first love has to be the Lord. And then the others will fall in place. Amen? And so uh, there's people that wanted to bring the Lord to another end. He's moved with compassion for them, but He's not going to be moved from His holy purpose by them. He's going to stay true uh, to, to what the Lord, His purpose in coming and what His Father sent Him to do. There was a cross set before Him. Amen? There was a cross set before Him. And, and always we need to picture that in our lives, that there's a cross set before us and in knowing uh, that we're to daily take up that cross and follow the Lord. And keep Jesus. That's what the Bible says. We're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so, uh, a couple of more Scriptures here. I'll just read this from uh, Matthew 16.21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Then Peter took Him and began to rebuke Him, saying, Be, that, be it far from Thee, Lord, this shall not be unto Thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now he's talking to Peter. We know this story very well. He's talking to Peter, his disciple, who loves him, and he, they love each other. But at that moment, he's rebuking Satan while he's talking to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now it looks like what, G, what Peter was saying was almost... Very kind, very compassionate, very loyal. Seemed that way. You're not going to the cross. You're, you're, you're taken by the Jews and scribes and elders and suffer many things at their hands and die on the cross and rise the third day over my dead body. That's not happening to you, Lord. Get thee behind me, Satan. What is he saying? We need to know what God's will is. His purpose is. Peter didn't see it. It looked for all the intents and purposes what a loyal disciple full with compassion and love for His Savior and Lord. But he was wrong. Not just wrong, a little wrong, way wrong. Because he said, get thee behind me, Satan. This is not of God. Your mindset and what you're saying for the end of my life, where it's going to end up, is not of God. And so, it's similar to, not exactly, but similar to where, where Paul says, I want, he hastened to be back in Jerusalem for a certain feast. And they said, oh, Agabus, who was a true prophet, his prophecy was true. He said that this is what's going to happen to the man that owns this article of clothing. Right, he's going to be taken back to Jerusalem, and he's going to be he's going to be uh, imprisoned, bound. When he goes back, and Paul says, "What do you mean to to try to break my heart and make me cry? I'm ready to be bound. I'm ready to die for the Lord in Jerusalem if need be." We have to understand the calling of God. You can be moved with compassion for people, but but not be dictated in your life by the will and whims of people. Even with good people, even what seems right. I remember when the Lord called Dee and me um, as as young couple, as believers, and called us to both quit our jobs. We both had full-time jobs. We didn't have children yet at this time. And stepping out to leave our jobs and go out in full-time ministry to serve the Lord and I'll never forget, I know I've shared this before, a Christian brother that we loved dearly that we knew, and he was a Christian. He came up and said, Randy, you can't do that. How are you going to support your family? How are you going to, how are you going to make any money? You can't do this. I think you've missed God's will. And, and he meant well, but he was dead wrong. You understand what I'm saying? He meant well worrying about us, so to speak. But yet, if he'd have been spiritual and known... God could have shown him that we had already prayed about it. And we knew it was a call of God upon our lives. Jesus knew where He was going. He wasn't going to be king at that time. And He wasn't going to be thrown off a cliff or be stoned either. He was going to the cross. Love people. He loved Peter even when He was rebuking him. But He was not going to be influenced by that. He was going to call it for, for what it was. And uh, Jesus said... Uh, to his father in prayer, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this hour, this cause came I unto this hour. You know what he's saying? To me, that's the closest, and in the garden, the closest you could say where Jesus was ever was almost like torn 
but I don't even think that it lasts for a second. You understand what I'm saying? It was in his humanity or whatever, where he's saying, a Satan should I, you know, now is my soul troubled. He did say that. But then in the same sentence, without even a period, he said, should I say, Father, spare me from the cross, basically? Spare me from dying at the hands of sinful men and such a torturous kind of death? He said, this is the, the reason I came to this earth. And so he knew it and he got it and he kept pressing forward. And it's, there's so much that we can learn from the life of our Lord and Savior. Uh, much that we can learn from His life. And the Bible says, for even here too were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. We studied this in First Peter. An example that you should follow in His steps. And so we need to learn from this. And learn people, unthankful people, sinful people, publicans, prostitutes, Pharisees, uh, re rebellious, idolaters, prideful, poor, rich, they were never a bother to him. I know it sounds like I'm freaking about two different things. I'm not. He was fully committed to people, yet fully committed to the, his purpose of being here. He was fully moved with compassion to help people and to minister to people like no man ever has before, and yet at the same time not governed by the will of men. He was true to His Father and His purpose of being here. Unthankful people, sinful, sinful people. He rebuked their sin and He rebuked the sinners as needed, right? There's times we read where Jesus rebuked people straight up. Go and sin no more. He told the woman caught in adultery. I don't condemn you, but go sin no more. He told the Pharisees, you're a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers. You're blind leading the blind. If you'd have known My Father, you would know Me. You know, you're, you're taking people to travel the world over, travel the seas to make one proselyte when you're through with them. You make them twice the sons of hell that you are. So he's calling it straight up. But he loved them. He loved them. He rebuked their sin and he rebuked the sinners and the hypocrites and the unbelievers as needed. But praise the Lord, he still loved them. He even rebuked them out of love so they'd be waking up, hopefully. And give their and, and and realize their hypocrisy, and come to him. He went to the cross for them. Those he was rebuking, he went to the cross for them. You know, greater love hath no man, amen. And man lay down his life for the friends, his friends. So we see it all through the scriptures. We see blind Bartimaeus. We see the woman with the issue of blood. We see the Syrophoenician woman who was a Gentile woman, saying, "My daughter's got a demon. Would you help her?" And Jesus is testing her. And He's saying, it's not me to give uh, the children's... You know, it's not proper to basically to give the, the people's, the children's food to dogs. I mean, that's, she, could have, she could have been so crushed by that, she would have just gone away with a tail between her legs. But she says, that's true, Lord. You're right. But the dogs can sit under the table and eat the crumbs that fall. And He says, what well, great is your faith, woman. And her daughter was healed. He wasn't bothered by her. He wasn't put out by that. Going to Lazarus' funeral, and he groaned in his spirit because of their unbelief. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to raise that man from the dead. But he groaned because of their unbelief. The widow with the, uh, her only son had died at Nain, and he goes, he's not bothered by that. He went and touched the coffin, and the child sits up and raises the child from the dead, gives the child back to his mother. He's not put out. Nicodemus coming to him by night, not wanting the other uh, Jewish Jews to see him. He's not bothered by that. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He cut through all the chase and all of his questions that were all over the place. He said, you must be born again. He told him the truth. He wasn't put out. They weren't an inconvenience or a bother to his schedule. Do you have a daily planner? Or maybe do it on your phone. I don't. i got an old, old daily planner. And I write my stuff. I already have stuff for tomorrow that I have to do. Study. You know, I have a lot of things on my, on my planner. And uh, people that, that would pop up in his life, they weren't a bother to him. And, and he said, you know, and I just thought, thinking about my own life, okay? Because the Lord says, Peter, after he rose from the dead, the, the last real conversation that we know of that Jesus had with Peter was, Lord, do you, Peter, do you love me? Right? Three times. And then when he finally says, Lord, you know, the Lord says to him, feed my sheep. 
So that was his calling. And I don't think it's unique just for Peter that we as the followers of Christ are to feed and minister to and do for others. Right? Jesus said that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give His life for ransom. And it, as He is so in this world. So think about your own life and I'll think about my life for a second. In, in your daily schedule, who in here is not busy? I want to see. Maybe somebody. Everybody's busy, right? Okay. Are we too busy to stop and pray with someone? Are we too busy to when, think about your own life when when you're passing somebody or have some encounter with somebody, and it's not every person, but you know, being open to the Lord, I guess is what I'm saying, to share the gospel with someone. Eric was telling me how he leaves these little witnessing cards at the gas station, he either hands it to somebody or sticks it in the credit card slip. You know, where the where, where somebody'd have to grab it. He's got one in my pocket. It's a perfect little size for that. I thought that was a good idea. But are we too busy? with our schedule to pick up somebody from church, even if they're out of the way a little bit, or to bring them back home afterwards? Are we too busy to spend maybe hours on the phone or in person counseling somebody? I'm not asking if you do that. You know your life. But sometimes there can be a great demand put on your life from other people where you spend hours, hours counseling. And maybe it's daily spending time counseling or praying with somebody in your mind you could think this is the same stupid problem they came to me with yesterday and a year ago won't they ever get it it's sapping all my time and we have to understand it's a silly problem and we think it's a silly problem we say wow that really set me back i really never get done all the things on my schedule today i'll never get it done i will say this we have to be careful because i do believe satan can put people in your life to sap your strength and energy. I do believe that. Some people are that. But we need to walk closely enough with the Lord to know the difference. Is this person putting my life to be a distraction so I don't get to pray and read my Bible and have my, you know, do what God's called me to do? And they're just sapping all my time and energy? Or is this really from the Lord? But I would say overall as a whole, our disposition needs to be that of our Lord's and be bent towards helping people. Ought to be more ready and willing and right there on the edge of helping people than saying no. Okay? And so that's something the Lord has to help us with because I do, I do know Satan can do that. He can put people in your life to drain you where it's not of God. It may be a relationship or something. Even in the, in the house of God, even in the church, you might have to cut that off. Tell them I love you, I'm praying for you, but God showed me this is not healthy for my life or your life. And you might have to cut it off. We need to know from the Lord. But still, have a bent towards helping and don't look at people in general as a, bob, as a bother. We ought to be ready to meet their needs through the sufficiency of Christ in our own lives. I'm not saying if they, they're six months behind on their house payment, I'm just going to write them a check to do that. I'm saying meet their needs through the sufficiency of Christ as He would have you to minister to their life in prayer, help, counsel, uh, could be a financial assistance or whatever it may be. That's our call as believers. And so I'm going to be bringing this to a close, but our Lord really had the perfect, and you would expect that from our Lord, being God in the flesh. He had the perfect mindset. And we're to let this mind be in us. Amen? The perfect mindset in dealing with people dealing with people and going through life and the busyness of life and the, the pulls and the influences of life and men who are uh, in the end would reject Him and cry out for His death. He knew they were gonna, at the end they were going to reject Him and cry out for His death. And yet He still moved with compassion and say, I will. I will heal you. I will come to your house. I will and heal your servant. I will. I will feed you with these loaves and the fish that are multiplied. I'm going to do that. Knowing, they didn't know it, but He knew, this is the ones, the end of my life, they're going to reject me and cry for my death. And they want a murderer to be released instead of me. He knew it all the time. And yet, He was still consistently loved. God is love. 
and he was moved with compassion. That's only possible. We start looking at our lives and we say, wow, I'm not even close to that. I'm not even in that ballpark of being there. I mean, if we're honest, or at least if I'm honest with myself, I'm not even close to that. I can put the smile on and do the Christian thing when I'm supposed to, but I really want to be that in my heart of hearts. That's going to be our altar here in just a moment. But we're going to bring this to a close because I believe that that singleness of mind that he had to, to be moved with compassion yet not moved off his course. Moved with compassion and loved perfectly like no one else has ever loved and yet not be detoured or persuaded away from the cross. And so we can learn a lot from that because God puts people in our lives in circumstances and situations they're always rubbing us the wrong way. They're like sandpaper. They're, they're always rubbing us the wrong way. You always get a flat tire at the worst time. The dishwasher always breaks at the worst possible time. You're always called to do something for somebody on the busiest day of your entire life. They want you to come help do this and, you know, for a couple of hours or whatever. It's always that way. God's allowing those things to happen. God's allowing those things to happen. We need to walk so closely with the Lord that we're like the Lord. And we also can tell, is this a trap or is this God? And then we, we keep our eyes on the Lord. That singleness of mind, though, and I'm closing with this thought, that singleness of mind. I think he had a singleness of mind as purpose. Paul had the same thing. This one thing I do. If you looked at his life, you'd say, no, he's doing a lot of things, right? You can start on a piece of paper and just start listing down everything Paul did. And he would crumple it up in a ball and say, no, I'm really only doing one thing. This one thing I do. He's pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. He's counting everything else as waste and dumb and it's behind him and leaving those things behind. He simplified his life. I'm living for God. That's what I'm doing. In the course of living for God, he has me casting out demons and preaching gospels and starting the church and going to, to this place and to that place and you know, testifying before governors and kings He's got the Lord's got me doing all that, but I consider I'm doing one thing. I'm serving God. With all my heart till He calls me home, I'm pressing towards the mark. Pressing on, pressing on, pressing on. And that's what we've there's a peace that comes with that. It's an amazing thing. I was just reading uh, five times, five times in his life he was beaten with 39 stripes. This 40 saved one. Five times. And I was reading enough a little devotional book last night before I went to bed about those beatings. That's not what this sermon's about, but, but there were horrible beatings. They left people disfigured. I don't think we realize that sometimes. Sometimes I don't. He says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Five times he was beat that way. Well, the average person never had that happen to him once. And, and uh, I mean, they would start by beating the upper chest with the first ten strokes, you know, or, or however many, and then they would move to the back and the back of the legs and, and that part of your body. And, and the first lashes would go across the chest and the face with these whips. Five times he was beat like that. That's not even talking about being stoned and shipwrecked and the different things that happened to him. And yet he was not detoured from his, his course. We know it because he says in Second Timothy, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. He finished the one God gave him. You and I got to finish our courses. There's a real peace that comes in being single-minded like that, because we're not, you know, here about this. Uh, he's conflicted, or this inner turmoil, and you know, watch Doctor Phil and all this, and they're torn and torn. And God doesn't. Jesus wasn't that way, and He never intended for His people to be that way. He wasn't that way and He didn't intend for His people to be that way. The peace comes when it's settled once and for all. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm His. I'm not bothered by people, but I'm not going to be governed by people either. I'm not bothered by circumstances. I'm going to meet needs as God would have me to meet needs, but I'm not governed by my circumstances. And I want to finish my course. There's a real peace that comes in that. I'll close with this thought that um, Martha, you know, Mary and Martha, the two sisters of Lazarus, and 
they're preparing a meal. Jesus is their guest of honor. Maybe some others as well in the Bible. We know the story. That's a whole sermon in itself. But uh, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to His words. Martha was cumbered about with much serving. A good thing, right? Serving. Serving the Lord. Getting His meal ready. Getting the cold water. Getting everything ready to go. Getting the table all set. And she's bothered by it. There was an inward turmoil. Because she's working and her sister is not there and her lazy behind, you know, sitting over there and not helping at all. And she was missing it because the Lord says, Martha, you're cumbered about much serving. He didn't criticize her for that. You're cumbered about. It's a real bother to you. It's cumbersome. It's holding you, it's holding you back. And he says, but Mary has chosen that better thing. And it was sitting at the feet of Jesus to hear His words. At that particular moment, there's a time to serve and there's a time to, to sit and be at Jesus' feet. The, the only point I want to make from that today was that she was angry. Martha was had his, she was smiling and serving, but inwardly she was angry because her sister wasn't helping. It didn't seem fair. But Jesus never lived with that kind of turmoil. When it was time to work, He worked harder than anybody. Apostle Paul would have worked harder than anybody. When it was time to pray, he would have been praying. When it was time to sleep, he would have been sleeping. He wasn't confused. Should I be sleeping or praying right now? Paul, Jesus knew when it was time to go to sleep. And Paul knew when it was time. You understand my point? That, inward, that turmoil inwardly comes from, from not really knowing, even as a Christian, what I should be doing right now. Is this a bother? Is this of God? Even if it's of God, it seems like a bother. I don't want it in my life right now. You know? And so, Jesus didn't live, live that way. And I don't believe Apostle Paul lived that way. As much as he did, he said, I labor more abundantly than they all by the grace of God. And yet, I don't think he was bothered to put out. He looked at it as being, when it's time to do this, I'm doing it. When it's time to be still, I'm doing that. And, and so forth. I pray that God would help us to live that way. I've kind of been all over the place this morning, but I believe the Lord would have us to be Christ-like. In order to be Christ-like, we're going to have to pray. I need to have a singleness of purpose in mind from not conflicted, innerly, in, in, torn inwardly between doing this or doing that. I need to know what God had me do because there's a real peace and rest that comes from that. And I do not need to look at human beings creating the image of God that He's put in my life as a bother. And I do a lot of times. And I pray God would forgive me. Amen. Our altars are open. We're going to close with that.